Okay, guys, we're we're in uh, chapter 13. We're in lesson 23. We're going to talk about transformed living still. And today, Paul's going to talk about a couple of things that are transformed when you come to Christ. One is your citizenship. So we're going to talk about our relationship with the government. So I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. We're going to talk about transformed relationships. And then we're going to talk about a transformed perspective. Now, we're going to talk about today what Paul says about uh, your relationship with your government. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. Whenever I present this passage, people get worked up, okay? Uh, not so much because of what I say, but because of what the apostle says, okay? And because I think part of being American is that you are uh, always upset with your government, okay? And But Paul's going to come from it from a different perspective of your perspective as a Christian. So this might be an interesting discussion today. Uh, so we're going to look at it. I'm going to lay down a historical context first. Before we look exactly at what Paul is saying, we really need to consider what his context, when was he writing, what was happening with the church, it was a very new church, a young church, and the government, which, let me remind you, was Rome, the Roman Empire. And would, would you say that the Roman Empire was a sweet, loving, cuddly government? No, they were pretty brutal. They ruled with an iron fist, and... So we're going to look at a couple of things here. We've got to understand the historical context before we get right into what Paul is saying. Okay? I need to remind you, who is, does anybody know who the emperor is at this time when Paul is writing? Anybody got a clue? Who the emperor is? He would later have Paul executed. Nero. Nero, okay, and and what we what do we know from history about Nero? Was he pretty pretty sharp, dude? Yeah, he was he was crazy, okay. He was nuts. He was crazy. In fact, most of the Roman emperors up until this point expressed some sort of craziness. All right, well, here's what we need to do. So, to understand Paul's instructions, we need to understand the context of the passage. So in order for us to really grasp what Paul is saying to us and encouraging us and flat out commanding us to do, you need to understand the historical context of the passage. Paul is writing to a people who are a part of the Roman Empire. Now, let me just kind of remind you how the Roman Empire was made up. Most people in the Roman Empire were considered slaves. A vast majority of the population were owned by somebody else. Just a flat out. Now, when you think about slavery in Rome, don't think about it in terms of American slavery. It was a little bit different, although you were still owned by somebody. Heads of households had what was known as the power of the sword. So if you were in charge of your household, you could literally put your own kids in chains or have them executed. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? You had that kind of authority in your house. Sometimes you'd like that authority, wouldn't you? Okay? But that's the authority that they had. So we're talking about a pretty rough background here. There was only a small percentage of Rome 
that were citizens. And you either were born a citizen or you bought your citizenship. Paul is interesting because even though he's Jewish, he has citizenship for some reason. In fact, this is why when you talk about the martyrdom of Paul versus the martyrdom of Peter, Peter was martyred by crucifixion, remember? Paul was martyred by what? Anybody know how Paul was killed? They chopped his head off. He was beheaded. And the reason why the two were different is is that a Roman citizen, according to the law, could not be crucified. So a Roman citizen would be executed by being beheaded. Okay? You're saying either one of them's pretty bad. You know what I'm saying? Well, one's better than the other. Okay? So, the Roman Empire, now here's the scope, I want you to understand, when you talk about the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire allowed the worship of many gods. You need to understand that right off the bat, so so that people understand what the issue is that the Roman Empire had with the church. First of all, they were a polytheistic empire. They worshipped many gods. They worshipped the Greek gods, the Roman gods. They worshipped Eastern gods. They even allowed the worship of the Jewish god. They weren't so much had a problem with another god called Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's really not the issue at this point. I'm going to tell you what the issue is here in a moment with the church. This was allowed as long as the worship did not interfere with the public well-being. That's really what the issue is here. Roman government didn't care what you worshipped unless it does not interfere with the public well-being. Well, you're saying Christianity does not interfere with the public well-being. Well, you're going to see here in a moment how it came in conflict with the public well-being. Because do you understand? When we talk about the Roman Empire, it's an empire that's focused on its existence and bringing everybody into line with the way it thinks. So, ultimately, this was expressed in emperor worship as the state demanded allegiance. Now, here's the scope. Basically, the Roman Empire didn't care less who you worshipped. Didn't really, it didn't matter to them. You could almost say they had a freedom of worship, but the only thing that they demanded was is that every person in the empire had to offer incense to the emperor. They had to acknowledge, do emperor worship, and what it, and it's not so much that none of the Romans, even though they said that the Caesar was a god, none of the Romans, and in in, you read the literature, nobody really believed that Caesar was a god. But what they believed was, is that if you didn't offer incense to Caesar, you were actually not happy and supportive of the government. Did you understand what I'm saying? It was an act of allegiance. So when you made an offering to the Caesar, you were actually making an offering and an allegiance to the empire. Now this is where the problem comes in. Okay? This is where the problem comes in. Now, they made an exemption for Jews. They made an exemption for Jews that allowed Jews not to do partake in emperor worship. Now, the problem was, here comes the Christians, because the Christians now, yes, some of them are Jews, and so they would overlook that, but now there are Gentiles getting saved in the church. Do you understand? And so now the problem comes is, is that 
As far as a Christian is concerned, is he going to make an offering to the emperor? No. But and so the so the Romans would see that as that's a treacherous act. They're traitors. In fact, if you read most of the uh, of the documents concerning the martyrdoms of that time, before they killed any Christian, they would always give them an opportunity to have life if they would only do what? Yeah, just offer some incense to the emperor. If they would just offer incense to the emperor, they would be okay. And, and in account after account of the martyrdoms of that time period, the Christians refused to do so because they said there's only one God and only one Lord, and who's that? Jesus. So this is the time that Paul's writing in. So anything that would be seen as a threat to public to the public well-being was persecuted. Anything that was seen as a threat to the public well-being of society was persecuted. Anything. So Paul tells so let's look here. Let me go let me I'm jumping ahead here. Let's look at verses 1 to 7. And we're going to look and see exactly now. You understand the context Paul's writing in. But you're going to be surprised by what he tells you. Look at what he says, verse 1 to 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Wow. What's he saying here? Well, let's go through it here kind of gradually. Paul tells his readers that everyone is to be subject to the government authorities. Okay, Ralph. Yeah. Hitler would be like a Caesar. Yeah. It's not a question of standing behind them. The question is, is obeying the laws, living at peace. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the issue is here, this is why this is always a controversial section. What he's talking about here is, is that you, whether your government is authoritarian or whether it's like our government, which some people in our context think it's authoritarian, okay, depending on who they're listening to on the radio, um, the reality is he's saying that as a Christian, we are to obey the laws of the land. Now, let me just, as soon as I say that, somebody's going to say, well, what if they make you do something that 
God says it's not right. Stop for a moment, guys. I think we've got to think about the context of the passage. The law said you got to offer incense to a, to the emperor. Did they do that? No. The guy who who's going to be executed anyhow says to you, you still need to obey the other laws. It's it's just a given in his mind that when it comes to doing what's right, you're going to do what's right. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? But in, in in the context of everything else, you need to obey the laws. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to obey the laws. See, we've got to be careful that, you know, even in, it's interesting you brought up the Nazis, okay, because I have relatives who lived during the Nazi time, my grandmother, okay, my grandfather, and lots of aunts and uncles. Not everything, they basically had a society going on and not everything was an oppressiveness of that society. Yes, there was the murder of the Jews. Okay? But they had everyday laws that people were to abide by. This is what he's talking about, is you abiding by the everyday laws as a citizen. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? No matter what your context is. So, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know what I'm saying? I think we, we understand that. All right, so here's the other one. This is because all government authorities have been appointed by God. Now, this is the one that's really hard for people to swallow. Because we look at leaders like a Mao Zedong or a Joe Stalin or an Adolf Hitler or a Saddam Hussein and we, we say to ourselves, well, how in the world... What do you mean God appointed them? I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Well, here's the thing. From our human perspective, it's democracy or election or coups or whatever. But from God's perspective, he appoints. I don't know if I believe that, George. That's not what Paul's saying here. Really? Okay, go over to Daniel chapter 5. Look with me at Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is addressing Belshazzar, who is an evil king, who had just mocked and blasphemed the Lord God. And so Daniel comes and he's supposed to read the handwriting on the wall. Everybody remember the story of the hand that writes on the wall and everything? So he's supposed to write... So in his explanation of the writing of the handwriting on the wall, he's talking to Belshazzar, and he's reminding Belshazzar about what happened to his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, and in it, he's going to quote something that was said to Nebuchadnezzar. It's also in chapter 4, but it makes very clear here that you understand that God is sovereign over the choice of who is the leader of a nation. Look with me at verse 21. Daniel chapter 5. Very last part. Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men, and here's the point, and appoints over them whomever he wills. See, God is ultimately the one who appoints your leaders. And if you have a Christian perspective, you understand that. Did you understand what I'm saying? 
you know, Christians need to understand that God is ultimately moving all history to one point. What's the one point that he's moving all history to? Yeah, the return of Christ. And so as he's moving everything to that point, he's going to appoint for leaders of nations that are going to move everything to that point. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when he says here in Romans that God is the one who appoints, you know what I'm saying? God is the one who appoints our governing authorities. We need to understand that. I see a hand in the back. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it permissive will. I would say it's his will. Because here's the thing. Uh, he gave them what they wanted, but it all fit into God's plan. And here's how it fit into God's plan. Because I was just reading that passage this morning in 1 Samuel. Okay? In my quiet time this morning, I was reading in 1 Samuel the appointment of the king, Saul. The reality is, is that was that had to happen. They had to come to that place of wanting a king King was appointed, Saul was then replaced by David, and then a covenant established with David that one of his offspring would rule forever. Who's one of his offspring that would rule forever? Jesus. See, it's all part of God's plan. We just talked about, if you remember, in our discussion of Romans, that he appoints some vessels for what? Honor, and some vessels the potter makes for what? Dishonor. Do you understand? Yeah, Rob. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't want to go that far in saying God's giving you the leader you deserve or don't deserve. I'm not. That, that's not the point. I think ultimately we need to say that who? Because here's the thing. I just need to flat out point out to you: the leader you think that we get that we deserve because we're not doing right. Somebody else in the room thinks he's a great leader. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you think the one that should have gotten elected, got elected, then you say, we deserve the good one. Do you understand? When you talk about in a room like this with so many different political, even if you're from the same party, you don't necessarily agree. Okay? The point is, is you need to have a greater perspective out of your human allegiances to God's ultimate purpose. Because here's the thing. God could care less about Democrats or Republicans. Okay? God cares less about Jesus coming. That, what he cares about is Jesus coming back, everything moving to that. And the stage being set for that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And that includes God is sovereign over the choice of who gets elected president in Kazakhstan. Or Bunai. Or Guinea. It's all part of his plan. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's all part of his plan. And what we need to recognize is that when we look at who our leaders are, so when you look at the state house and its wolf, and you look at the county commissioners that we just elected, those are ultimately, yeah, we may be in our democracy elected them, but ultimately it's God who appointed them. They're the leaders who are appointed by God to exercise control over the civil aspect of our lives. Do you understand? That's what he's saying here. Now, if you have a hard time with this, I need to make this point. 
If you have a hard have a hard time with this, you have to decide. Forget what I'm saying. You read it yourself, and then you've got to decide. Do I agree with what he's saying or not? And then if you say you don't agree with it, if you're a Christian, you've got you're saying you don't agree with part of God's word. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because we're going to get to the one that people we can argue about whether or not to obey the law or whatever, the authorities or like authorities or whatever. But the ones that are coming towards the end of these verses, that's the one that really gets people torqued. Okay? So what is that? So let's look at that here. First of all, he's going to give a warning. The one who resists government resists what God has instituted, which brings judgment. Now, let me just stop for a moment. He is not talking about churches meeting when they're told not to meet. Do you understand? He's not talking about you not offering incense to the emperor. He's not talking about that. He's talking about you not obeying the everyday laws of your land. Do you understand what I'm saying? And paying taxes. We're going to get to that, Bruce. That's that's the heated discussion later on. Okay? Here's the purpose of government, he says. Authority is not a terror to good works, but to works of evil. Because that's what government does, right? It prosecutes those who do wrong. Whether you like the government or not, that's the point he's making here. Authority is not a terror to good works, but to works of evil. Doing good results in praise from authority instead of fear. So the purpose of government, Paul says, is to punish those who practice evil. So then in verse 5, he's going to restate the command. Believers are to be subject to authority because of their consciences. You and I are to be subject to authority because of our consciences. So then now comes the issue of taxes. And this is the one where sometimes people... I hear some of the craziest comments, but and maybe okay, they may be legitimate to you, but it's not legitimate as far as the scripture is concerned. Believers are called to pay their taxes. Now I hear good Christians all the time, well the government gets enough. That ain't the point here. There's no look in your Bibles. Look at your Bible. Everybody look at your Bibles, look at verse six and seven. There might be some R's for some references there. Uh, there might even be an asterisk to make a footnote at the bottom. But have you noticed there's no asterisk there saying, this is to be obeyed except when you feel that they get enough taxes. Did you know what I'm saying? That's not the point here. In fact, Paul's saying what Jesus said. Remember when Jesus, the week of, in the week of Passion, he's in the temple, he's being confronted by the Herodians, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? He said, show me a coin. Whose inscription's on the coin? Caesar. And then Jesus says, what everybody knows, he said, render to Caesar what? What is Caesar's? Render to God what is God. Even Jesus told you to pay your taxes. Okay? Pay your taxes. So transformed citizenship is trying to live at peace, at peace, as a citizen in your country. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? Let's go on now to verse 8 through 10. He's going to talk about transformed relationships. Boy, you guys have been so good. I feel relieved now because I was expecting somebody to, to launch on me about the tax thing. So, 
Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't like paying taxes either, but I can't get away from what the scripture says. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, I think we have to be careful of it. Yes. Yes. Although somebody could argue for that, though. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are times when you feel driving 25 through town on the morning is ungodly, and you should be able to drive faster. So. But, uh, no, you're right. The ben, what, he's giving us overall principles, commands that we need to follow. He's not getting down to the nitty-gritty of the specifics here. Because you've got to understand his context here. The context is he knows that if you're a Christian, and if you're following and loving the Lord, you're not going to, offer, you're not going to do the things that government says that are, that are going to be a crisis of conscience and doing what God told you not to do. Do you understand? He already knows you're not going to do those things. But in the general sense of everyday life, you just need to follow the laws. Live at peace. Live at peace. So, all right, so look here. Transform relationships, verse 8 to 10. Look at what he says here now. Oh, no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the... For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So let's see what's the saying. So the issue of debt, believers are called not to know, owe anyone anything other than love. So he's talking about be careful of debt. Okay? Just be flat out honest with you. Bible does not forbid you from going into debt. But what it does say, if you go into debt, you're foolish. And here it's saying, don't owe anybody anything. Okay? Except love. Alright? So let's go on. All of the commandments are summed up in the command to love our neighbors. Everything is, is all of the commandments are summed up in the one command, love your neighbor. So if you love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery with his wife. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill him. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? So he's saying everything is summed up in the one command that talks about what should be binding in our relationships is that we love each other. Okay? So believers, love does not result in harm and is therefore a fulfillment of the law. Love does not result in harm, but is a fulfillment of the law. That's what he's saying here, okay? So if I'm going to have transformed relationships, what's going to guide, based upon what he's saying here, what's going to guide my interaction with other people? Love, okay? Now he's going to give us and here's where we're going to spend the rest of our time, a transformed perspective. This is where, and see, this is going to help you to understand how, why we should be this way towards each other, why we should be this way as a citizen, 
why we should be this way when we talked last week about, two weeks ago when we talked about our, our ministry towards each other and exercising our gifts. He's going to give us a transformed perspective. Look with me at verses 11 through 14. And I think this is where sometimes we forget things. Okay, because our focus is now. Look at what he says here. And do this, knowing the time that is now, knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and not in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, he's going to talk about a perspective here, okay? Here's the perspective. Believers are awakened to the fact that the fullness of salvation is near. What's he talking about here? He's saying, you and I need to wake up out of our sleep. We need to get real about life and wake up to the fact that you are one day closer to experiencing your salvation. What do you mean by that? Well, it could mean two things here as far as experiencing your salvation. It could mean we're one day closer to who coming back? Jesus. Or one day closer to what? You dying and going and meeting Jesus. Either way, you're one day closer to what? Meeting Jesus. You need to wake up to that reality. Why? Because sometimes we can lull ourselves to think, sleep thinking, you ever, ever gotten this way? Oh, I got time. I got time. I can wait. And, and that's a procrastinator, right? I can put that off. I don't, I mean, I just need to coast here. He's talking here about that you and I need to wake up to the reality that every day you are one day closer to meeting Jesus. That's just the bottom line reality. First thing he says to us, wake up. You're one day closer. Okay? One day closer to your salvation. So because you're one day closer, here's what he's telling us to do here. We're we're to cast off darkness. So believers are to cast off the works of darkness and to live properly. He's talking here about you getting serious about the way that you're living your life. Because here's what happens. I've said this before. This is where we, you know, church, this is why I wish church has always, should have always been this way. Churches should have always communicated that everybody has their stuff that they're struggling with. Right? So what you struggle with is different than what the person across the room struggles with. But everybody here is struggling with something. And every one of you struggles with, we've already talked about it, because we live in bodies that are empowered by sin. Do you understand that the power of sin is in? It's lusting after doing wrong. You are wrestling with your body. The good that you don't want to do, you do. That which you don't want to do, you do. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of that is there. It's real. He's saying, wake up. Your salvation is near. Deal with it. Get real about the stuff in your life. Cast off the works of darkness. 
Now, here's the thing. You know what the works of darkness are in your life. Am I correct in saying that? You know what the works of darkness are in your life. You know what you're making excuses for. I know what I'm making excuses for. So he's saying here, as a transformed perspective, I recognize I'm one day closer to meeting Jesus. I need to start getting serious about dealing with this stuff in my life. You understand what I'm saying? I need to start getting serious. So he's saying, cast off those works of darkness. And rather now, he's saying, put on Christ. Okay? Believers are to put on Jesus Christ and make no allowances for the desires of their bodies. So what he's saying here is, is rather, I need to put on Christ. I need to make a determination to live the way Jesus wants me to live. And I need to get radical about not allowing my body to do whatever it wants to do. Because your body will lead you in a wrong way if you just let it go, wouldn't it? You know what I'm saying? Oh, I don't believe that, George. Really? Think about it. All we need to do is think about Walmart, checkout lane. What's at the checkout lane at Walmart? Vitamins? Is it all filled with vitamins there? Health food? No, not if they want to sell it. No, it's 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 everything there that's going to make you look there and say, oh, there's a Snickers bar. Oh, king size. I get two for the price of one. Oh. Ooh. Did you know what I'm saying? Because that's appealing to what? The desires of your body. Now, I'm just, but you know what? Here's the thing. Most of you don't necessarily struggle with that. But it may be something else that you struggle with. See, you've got to put on Jesus and don't make allowances to the desires of your flesh. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't make allowances to the desires of your flesh. All right, so that's that's the transformed perspective there. Next week, we're going to get into really the nitty-gritty about how we interact with each other. He's going to talk about the weaker brother. Because this is where we come in conflict in our churches. Because here's the thing. When you talk about where you're at as a Christian, everybody here is at a different level. Some of you are more mature than others. Some of you are struggling with others. Some of you are not struggling with others. Some of you have come to a conclusion some of you have said, no, can't do that. Some of you said, no, i got freedom to do that. He's, and, and so we conflict with each other. We butt heads. He's going to talk about how we're to deal with each other, how the mature are to deal with the weak, how the weak are to deal with the mature. Do you understand what I'm saying? So that we can have harmony and unity in our church. Do you understand? So we're going to talk about that next week.